The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. It was an absolutely beautiful day here in New York. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 70 degrees. It's true. It's true. 70 degrees and sunny with a chance of jail. Because <laughs> about not that far, like four miles south of here, the former president was arraigned on 34 felony counts. He was supposed to arrive at the courthouse around 11 a.m., but he didn't leave his building until after 1 p.m., which is pretty late, but in his defense, those SpongeBob episodes just keep auto-playing. <laughs> you, you just gotta shut it. Once he finally arrived down at the courthouse, we heard these immortal words. This moment at 1.24 p.m. Eastern Time, Donald J. Trump is under arrest. It feels good, but remember, he is innocent until proven so, so guilty. <laughs> At that point, of course, he was read his Miranda rights. Then he claimed that Miranda wasn't even his type, asked her to sign an NDA, and got indicted again. <laughs> the judge ruled that video cameras were not allowed in the courtroom, but did allow some still photography. Here it is. To his left there is his lawyer, Joe Tacopina, seen here saying, how many T's an attorney? Hey, <laughs> when you trace your hand, it kind of looks like a turkey. Hey, boss, should we get sandwiches? <laughs> then, for a long time, all we had was these still photos, so cable news did their best to fill time. That is a pissed-off Donald Trump. He doesn't look like a happy man in these images. No question, that is an angry... Donald Trump. It's not just anger. Um, I, I, there's a weight, there's a sadness. He looks like a defeated man. Almost pensive. Pensive? <laughs> you know pensive means thinking, right? 
What are you talking? This is what he always looks like. There's no way of knowing what's going on in his head there. Actually, there is one way. Jim, can can we zoom in? <laughs> they also <laughs> looks tasty. They also released a court sketch. There it is. Here's the former president being indicted for stealing all of Whoville's Christmas presents. <laughs> there was one camera. There was... Sure. You're a foul one. There was one camera in the hallway outside of the courtroom where the ex-pres found out that there's a lot less pomp and circumstance around you when you're the defendant than when you're the commander-in-chief. There's a court officer, I believe, who enters before him, doesn't hold the door open for him, and the former president actually has to push the door open for himself, which is probably the first time he's had to do that in quite some time. Wow. Wow. That's kind of special. It's not often you see a door hitting an ass on the way in. Hey! Now, while that... Boom! No, no, no. While in court, the former president was officially charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records, all of which were classified as Class E felonies. Well, leave it to the man with the golden toilet. Even his felonies are Class E. (laughs) Now, some have pointed out, some people out there have pointed out that Class E are the lowest level of felonies in the New York State Penal Code. So little crimes, nothing serious, kind of cute. Like other Class E felonies, arson in the fourth degree, (laughs) welfare fraud, or abandonment of a child. (laughs) Don't worry, Dad, I'll never testify against you. (laughs) You can buy my silence with a hug, or you can have Michael Cohen hug me and then secretly hug him back off the books. (laughs) Now, some, just some, thank you. A lot of pundits warned that today New York would be overwhelmed by an angry MAGA mob, but this morning there were so few pro-MAGA protesters the reporters had to line up to talk to them. <laughs> Never got a couple. Yeah, okay. I got this. Yeah, there's a... it's it's never a good sign when there are fewer people at your current rally than are in prison for your last one. <laughs> And once he saw, once he saw the weak MAGA turnout, the president was quick to blame it on location, posting on Truth Social, very unfair venue, with some areas that voted 1% Republican. This case should be moved to nearby Staten Island. (laughs) Yes. Making it the first time anyone has ever said, we should go to Staten Island. (laughs) One, the ferry is so fun. It's free. It's beautiful. Lovely people. One Magalaga Ding Dong who was there today was Marjorie Taylor Greene on her way. On her way to speak outside the courthouse, she gave an interview about just how noble this indictment really is. Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested. It's true. It's true. Jesus, Jesus was arrested. And I keep forgetting that he was arrested because 
he was put on trial for getting Judas to pay Mary Magdalene not to tell anyone she spanked him with a Dead Sea Scroll. <laughs> Which, of course, led to this famous sermon, Heavenly Father, please remind them to donate generously at JesusHChrist.biz. Okay, here I go, ascending to heaven like a dog. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't yeah. actually remember that. I don't remember that part of the... Green wasn't the only wacky character to visit the courthouse today. One MAGA protester was there to bring the loud. You're pro-Trump. Yeah, yeah. You're handing out whistles to... Yeah, 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 yeah. Make a noise, make a noise. Everybody must hear us. Interesting. Yeah, everybody must hear us. You don't worry that might be drowning out Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever over there? I like to make a noise. I'm here to make a noise. I think he might have the ex-president's honest new campaign slogan, I like to make a noise. <laughs> so, with... So, with fewer MAGA than predicted and a whole lot of the noise, it's no surprise that Green fled her own rally after just 10 minutes. Well, you know what they say about New York. If you can make it here, you're not Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> And we will have the composer of that song, John Cantor, right over there in just a few minutes with Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's kismet. I tell you, it's kismet, as my people say. It was a crazy day. All the crazies were out. There was a guy dressed as Freddy Krueger holding a sign calling the district attorney a nightmare. He wasn't the only horror movie villain. There was also a guy there dressed as Leatherface. Now, as fascinating as today was, it also gives me this uneasy feeling, because no matter how you feel about the ex-president, and I'm on record as to how I feel about him, now streaming on Paramount+, Plus, a mountain of (laughs) that guy. (laughs) The man, the man who was arrested today is likely to be the Republican nominee for president, even if he has to accept the nomination on the phone through plexiglass. So all of this was weird and totally unprecedented, yet it still feels like the right thing to do. The same way it would be weird and unprecedented to shoot a trank dart inside the Supreme Court, but it would be the right thing to do if the Senate confirmed Chief Justice Cocaine Bear. (laughs) So all in all, this is a pretty big deal. And these aren't even the biggest charges coming. The big ones are being investigated by special counsel Jack Smith, seen here officiating a wedding on Zargon 5. Among, among other crimings, Smith is investigating the classified documents down in Mar-a-Lago, and yesterday, we got a spicy little update. The FBI has fresh evidence pointing to possible obstruction. I assume they mean of justice, though it could be of colon. <laughs> Specifically, investigators have new and significant evidence that after the subpoena was delivered, the ex-president looked through the contents of some of the boxes of documents, apparently out of a desire to keep certain things in his possession. And we know this because they've got security camera footage. He was busted by his own security cameras. How could he make that mistake? Two of the five words he knows are camera and TV. (laughs) In addition, that's... We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Lynn Manuel Miranda and John Kander. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. 
making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to The Late Show. Ladies and gentlemen, my guests tonight are Broadway legends with over 20 musicals under their belts. One of them wrote the scores for Cabaret and Chicago. The other one created In the Heights and Hamilton. Please welcome to The Late Show, Lin-Manuel Miranda and John Kander. John, thank you for being here. Lynn, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Welcome back. Look at that. We don't get that every night. John Kander, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, lovely to see both of you. You're both giants of the musical theater world. John, you've been at it just a little bit longer than, <laughs> than, than uh, Lynn over there. H- how old are you now, sir? 96. 96. Born in 1927, then? Is I'm, that it? I'm, yes, I was. Oh, this theater was built in 1927. <laughs> yeah, you guys are twins. <laughs> I feel well, when, so, when, when, so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> and when did Lynn come on your radar? Uh, I can remember that exactly. I, I went to see an off-Broadway production of In the Heights uh, I did, uh, because a friend of mine was in it. I didn't know anything about him. And I saw this miracle on the stage. And uh, I, I stayed behind to, I'm not a very aggressive person, but I did stay behind because I wanted to meet him and find out who was responsible for this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really true. That's really true. And he, and he invited me to lunch, oh, and I was so scared, because here I am uh, eating lunch with the guy who wrote some of my favorite musicals. Um, and we sat down around the corner from your house, and the first thing he said to me was, do you ever feel, when you're writing a song, like you have no idea what you're doing? <laughs> and that immediately, like, leveled the playing field, and then we just started talking about songwriting, and we're still talking about it 15 years later. Right, and it's... Uh... It, it's funny, our series of luncheons were something that just sort of evolved. I, uh, I learned a lot from him, and, uh, and still am, and we became fast friends, and so here we are. Here we are, inside the TV. There it is. <laughs> there you go. Well... So you guys started working together after those lunches, and now you're working on New York, New York. What, what is that about? Uh, New York, New York is very... Well, it takes its name, and uh, 
the barest slivers of plot from the original Scorsese film starring Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli, but it really is uh, a love letter to New York City. It takes place just after World War II, uh, and it's about musicians uh, coming to the city, really citizens coming from all over the world uh, to become themselves in New York. And, and the song that John so brilliantly writes is they're looking for their major chord, which is music, money, love. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. Huh. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the title song, John. Um, what do you remember about writing New York, New York? Because I know that the form of the song that we all know and love now is not the original form of the song. Thank God. <laughs> I would agree. I've heard the original. You have? I have. You I must, heard you the Terry Gross interview. And I think you guys did a good job on that rewrite of that song. How did it come about? Uh, well, Fred and I... Uh, Fred Ebb, your, your, Fred Ebb, your writing uh, partner for so many years. Uh, and I went down to play... We were assigned to write a score for a movie called New York, New York, that Martin Scorsese was directing, and Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro were in. And we uh, went down to Marty's office, and we played our score. I think there were seven, eight songs, something like that. And he and Liza were very complimentary. And we started to go home, and. Except over in the couch was somebody we hadn't met, and that was Robert De Niro. Just, just like and, this. And uh, we saw, all, all we saw of him was an arm that went up. And, uh, and Scorsese said, excuse me just a minute, De Niro wants to speak to me. And so he went over and sat at the couch with him. And then I saw two arms doing that. And uh, then Scorsese came back, and in the the most embarrassed way said that De Niro feels, feels that the title song, which is associated with him, is not as strong as The World Goes Round, which is associated with Liza's character. And he, he really could hardly get the words out. He said, would you guys mind going back and taking another crack at it? And, How did you feel about that? Oh, well, Freddie and I, in our politest stiffness, said, said uh, of course. <laughs> and uh, Of course they lied. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we left and we went back to Freddie's apartment and we were so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that some actor was going to tell us. Some actor, <laughs> some... <laughs> Bobby D somebody or other, yeah. yeah. Anyhow, we went into Freddie's uh, Freddie's study and in 45 minutes wrote, we wrote this other song uh, that we now know as New York, New York. Uh, and we took it back and uh, they got to it and liked the song. And the point of it all is that De Niro was absolutely right. <laughs> the, the, the original song we wrote was so embarrassing that, that uh, today, actually, uh, Sam Davis, who are, is our music coordinator, sneaked it into the underscoring. Oh, so it's, in, it's somewhere in this musical. I'm not telling you where. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I think that's the secret of the song's success and why it's become a New York anthem is because they wrote it while they were a little pissed off. <laughs> 
And I think every New Yorker is a little pissed off. Who do you think you are? I'll show you yeah. greatness. It has just a little <laughs> you in it. A little bam, 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 in it. <laughs> well, the line, if you, if you can make it there, is, of course, one of the most famous lines from the song and the most famous things associated with New York now. Well, what is the moment you realized you had made it? Lynn, let's start with you. Um, well, well, I always say I I'll never make a bigger leap in my life than going from substitute teacher at my old high school to Broadway composer, which was wow. the leap I made when In the Heights made it from off-Broadway to Broadway. I was still subbing even when... You, you, weren't, you weren't even a permanent teacher. You were just... I was, uh, yeah, I, was, I, was, I relied on teachers at my old high school to get sick five times a month, and then I could pay my rent. <laughs> wow. Um, so that was the biggest leap I'll ever take in my life. Mm. But I think the moment was kind of, uh, you know, I think the, the, the moment you realize you're a New Yorker is when you can walk into your bodega and they just start making the order. Because uh. you're there every day. That's like... Right, they know. That's, John, yeah. what, what, is, what is your... What, what's your sense of being a New Yorker, John? Do you, have a, do, you have a, do you have a thing that you associate with really being a New Yorker? Uh, yeah. And some, some of it, I think, is... I was saying in the other room, something I didn't realize until today, I think I've always been a New Yorker, even when I was growing up in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that ineffable thing? Uh... Okay, this is this is this this is the substance of the show, really, and it's something I believe truly deeply. I think that New York City is the greatest social experiment that the world has ever seen. Mm. Uh, I do. What are the elements of the experiment? I think uh, everybody lives in New York and everybody's natural enemy lives in New York. <laughs> Truly. Sure. And the fact is, for the most part, they don't kill each other. <laughs> and, and if you think, uh, you think of other big cities in, in the world, you think of London and all of the people from all over the world who live there, and the English. And in Paris, you think of all the people who live there from all over the world and the French. In New York, there's only others. Uh, and uh, yeah. and the, the idea of that has moved me my whole life. And uh, When did you first come to New York? Uh, I came to New York. Uh, my folks uh, used to bring my brother and me here on spring vacation. And we would go to theater every night. And my brother would sit at one end of the row and I would the other, wisely. And, uh, 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 and the lights would go down and we would instinctively uh, lean forward and look at each other. Uh, I was in music and theater from the time I was a little kid. It, I just assumed that this is where I would live. And then at... Uh, at the end of the war, uh, which I, I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> World War II, just so everybody yeah. knows, yeah. Oh, my God, there have been that many wars. <laughs> there have been a few since, unfortunately, uh, yeah. When your ship came to New York, 
uh, after wherever you had been. There were signs everywhere that said, welcome home, well done. And that could sound really corny to a lot of people today, but it wasn't the well done part. It was the welcome home. Mm. I'm going to cry a bit. <laughs> <laughs> You say that you, you say you've been writing since you were writing since you were quite small. I want to get to what your first song was in just a moment. But Lynn, do you remember the first song you wrote? Um, I think it was into my Fisher Price tape recorder. Oh. It was called "The Garbage Pail Kids Are in Town," uh-huh. and it was about all the different garbage pail kids because I collected garbage pail kids cards, and they were coming to town. <laughs> John, what was your first song? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a Christmas carol that I wrote when I was in second grade. Wow. And uh, my, it, I didn't find out until many years later that my second grade teacher, Ms. Matthews, had called my folks and said, uh, uh, I just want to tell you that John wrote a Christmas carol. Is that all right? Because I know you're Jewish. <laughs> What did your folks say? Was that okay? That was fine with them. They tried to explain to me that there was more to it than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you wrote for so many years. You wrote with 40 years with your partner, Fred Ebb. What is it like to, to continue to compose and to create songs without him? What are, the, what are the challenges and what are some of the discoveries that you've made? Uh, well, th- th- after Freddie died in, in 2004, there were some leftover projects, which I vowed to finish. And I began to work with other people, with myself. Uh, and I think, I think I found out that I couldn't not write. Uh, and, uh, and that's really the that's really the whole secret. It's like a habit that you just can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I've been really, really lucky that uh, I get to play in the sandbox with people like him. Yep. Lynn, I know that you you're inspired. I know that you've been inspired by 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 John and 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 Fred Ebb, and I understand that you wrote the song "The Room Where It Happens," extraordinary song from Hamilton, as a love letter to them. How so? Yeah, that's my song in Hamilton. That is my my little uh, hat nod to to Candor and Ebb. It's it's a very different style from the rest of it because I was, and again, we've had many conversations about how we don't recognize our own styles, and so I, I told John this, and he said, "What are you?" about. And the only real tell uh, is at the end of that song. If you listen, it goes, you know, the great Leslie Odom Jr. sings, I want to be in the room. And then he goes, click, boom, psh. And that is all that, that jazz. (laughs) (laughs) That's a straight up all that jazz steal. I hear it. And that's my little love letter to John. We have to take another break, but stick around. There's more Lin-Manuel, Miranda, and John Cander to come. (laughs) 
I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. John, who are some of your heroes? You're, you're a hero of Lin-Manuel Miranda's. Who are some of the, your heroes when you were, were coming up and beginning to first create your music? Uh, George Gershwin, Irving Berlin, uh, uh, Jerome Kern. Uh, every, every generation has its own, not just musical heroes, but influences. And what's, what really, really kind of dazzles me that when we work together is that we are separated by not just two generations, by three generations. <laughs> And yet the actual process of, of writing and working is uh, almost absurdly easy. Yeah. Really? Even though sometimes when you approach a start a song, you think, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but you never know what you're doing. Yeah, you but do. we go there together. <laughs> oh, that's nice. A lonely place to be alone. <laughs> yeah. What is that feeling like? Is what is the feeling like when you realize you've gone from not knowing to knowing something? How does that happen? What is that mysterious moment when the blank page turns into not an accusation but a possibility? We talk about that all the time, actually. It's, uh, in the first place, you never know much. <laughs> you really don't. But something begins to happen, and and. If you're working with another person, it begins. You begin to pile idea on idea, uh, and it's an adventure. And if you don't put some god up there telling you that's no good, you can go ahead and and just do it. Yeah, yeah. And his hands are really fast. It's like. You know, a, a lot of what writing is to us is a, us just eating bagels and talking about what's on TV. And then at a certain point, we'll turn to the piano and we'll talk about the idea we have. His hands will start going and I'll just start trying to write words to keep up with what's coming out of his hands. And the first song we wrote together, which is the opening number of New York, New York, we wrote in about an hour and 15 minutes. And there's a moment, I actually filmed us singing through it for the first time. And there's this moment where you just kind of look at each other like, <laughs> This exists now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think that <laughs> he he just said something really important that I think that a lot of people don't understand with people who make art, if you will. One of the great one of the great things about making stuff is something is there that was not there before. And I can't tell you what an ego trip that is. <laughs> John, thank you so much for being here. It was lovely to talk to you. Lynn, as always. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. 
just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, Listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.